I almost forgot、um, to watch The Hunt. And then yesterday,、yeah. well, the, the other one, the Dan- is it Danish? I almost forgot to watch it, and yesterday I was like, oh, fuck, fuck.、Um, like at two in the morning because I had people over. And,、uh, <laughs> and then I, I searched it, and I was like, oh, I've seen this movie. It's,、uh, it's awful. I mean, it's great. It's, it's a really good movie, but it's, it's an awful story. Yeah, it's like one of the most painful viewing experiences ever. Yeah. But、um, yeah, this COVID thing is, sucks. Just sucks ass because it, I, you know, like the movies is, is on, but like they're, they're, they're open again. But、yeah. I don't know. I've been thinking of going. They're showing The Exorcist right now, and it's like one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. I know they're, they're doing some of the cinemas are open here, but、um, it's like I don't know how they're going to be able to maintain, you know, kind of in any sense of kind of like operating income because there's like. Alternate rows, <clears throat> and then there are two spaces between each person viewing the film or each group of people. Yeah. So they're only like, I'm going to say 20% capacity. Yeah. When I was,、uh, when I was like still living at home,、uh, my teenage years, my parents used to give me like an allowance. And、yeah. uh, it was like they gave me money for the movies. Like it's always been like a,、yeah. like a thing that, you know, I used to go to the movies like every week. Yeah. So it kind of sucks not being able to go anymore. I know, and it is worrying like that the general cinema industry, what will happen. And I can't watch、this. it in my laptop. That's, that's just, I don't know. It's depressing. It is depressing. I know you never really get quite the experience, but、um, I do a lot of viewing on my laptop. So should we, should we do like an introduction, or have we already introduced it? Yeah. We're just doing a rolling start. I mean, I guess if somebody's listening to it, they already know. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hello, we started <laughs> a while ago, but this is it. We're doing an episode today about two films with the same name, but two very different films with the same name. So, the first one is The Hunt.、Um, US film was released very subtly last year. Very expensively. Do you know who the director is? Very, yeah. Yeah, it was like it was like you can rent it for like $25 or something like that. It's not ridiculous. Wait, do you know who directed it? No. I can't remember. No. I can't remember.、Um, and then、uh, The Hunt, Thomas Vinterberg film, Danish film from 2012. Is he like pretty known? Yeah, yeah, he's done a lot.、Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, it really looks really nice. I have to say, they,、uh, it's very warm. It's kind of, Set mostly in kind of autumn, beginning of beginning of winter, has a sort of like oaky, oaky look to it. But it's very kind of like warm and nice. But the story is not warm at all. In fact, it's like、yeah. extremely depressing.、Um, which one do you want to talk about first? Let's do the、uh, let's do the American one because it's like you yeah, know, America first. America first. But <laughs> <laughs> the the, main, the first thought I had about it was I think it's quite funny. That it was so it didn't get like a cinema run、um, because the Republican Party made like a huge song and dance about it depicting,、um, uh, you know, themes that were inappropriate. So, you know, talking about the kind of like preciousness and cancel culture, obviously, we kind of look at it a lot on the liberal left, but it is a,、um, a motif on the right as well.、Yeah. And that, you know, it was offensive because it showed.、Um, Uh, liberals killing quote unquote deplorables for sport. But the irony was that the film is very 
anti-woke, extremely anti-woke. And I actually think that the reason why the Republicans and Trump in particular wanted desperately to for this film to be cancelled is not because it was offensive, but because it disproved their narrative mm-hmm. that Hollywood is uniquely woke. I mean, obviously, there's a huge because um, any industry under the market capitalism that we have now, neoliberalism, will be woke. But obviously, it doesn't mean that the whole thing is woke or that aren't people making things that aren't woke. Mm-hmm. But like, I feel like if it was released, it's actually a very well-made film, very funny, very anti-woke, very um, tongue-in-cheek and very, yeah, very critical about a lot of the kind of um, more uh, censorious aspects of liberalism. And just because it depicts uh, something, the depiction isn't like the actual perspective represented, you know. And I think that the cancellation speaks to the fact that um, when we want to cancel things, it's not because they say something that we disagree with. It's often they say something that shows up our own ideological perspective. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it had to be cancelled because it disproved that this grand conspiracy about X, Y, or Z, rather than it actually being bad. Did you get that feeling from it? Yeah. I mean, I also got that uh, it's always a veneer, you know, like being woke or... Because I, mm-hmm. I, I think it's one of the the luxuries that liberals sort of take, and it's that their position, their liberal position, is it's it's devoid of aesthetics. That it's purely mm-hmm. sort of like in search of justice and in truth. But mm-hmm. it's it's pretty obvious that it doesn't matter like what you believe. Eventually, it just you know it it has optics. It has like an aesthetic to it. Um, and yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was interesting, like at the end when I don't know, I don't know the character's name, but like Betty Gilpin uh, fights mm-hmm. with Hillary Swank at the end, and then she dies. Hillary Swank, spoilers, and um, and then she grabs like Swank's things, and and then she gets on a on a plane, on a jet plane, and then leaves. Yeah. But what I was wondering is, is like, was the jet plane Hillary Swank's, or was it Betty Gilpin's all along? Now you say this looking back, I'm not. I'm not sure. I think it it is it is Hillary Swank's right because she Betty Gilpin was one of the people that was sort of rounded up and imprisoned and drugged on the plane. So basically, what happened? Should we should we should we go through the narrative or do we just yeah, yeah, yeah. on this one? So basically, um, this is about a um, there has been a great conspiracy or it has seemed to be a conspiracy online where a lot of um, people have said, oh, there is this. Uh, group of liberals called the man or something man or something that um is out there to round up uh quote-unquote deplorables and uh it exists somewhere in america and they get taken there to be hunted for sport and so we start at the beginning of the film chronologically where um we're on this private jet and it's taking um a group of people um people from places in the midwest or working class people, people of, you know, who aren't, you know, coastal least, quote unquote, to be um, part of this great kind of hunting game. Mm. And we don't know where they're flying to. Um, but then we arrive uh, at a, a situation where the deplorables, quote unquote, are awake and they find themselves in the, the middle of this countryside. Yeah. 
the basket of divorce and they're being attacked by uh, these these liberals. I mean, it turns out later on that this isn't in America and that the conspiracy isn't true. But what happened was, and basically all the deplorables get killed off one by one except for one woman who survives, who it turns out isn't actually a deplorable at all, but it's a case of mistaken identity. And she's some like super well-trained US Army veteran. Yeah. Um, and that the conspiracy doesn't exist at all, but this group of people had been working for this very important corporation and had been joking about it on text um, as if to say that they were part of this hunt. And then those messages got um, posted online. They get fired from their jobs for joking about it, pretending sarcastically that they ran the thing. And having been fired, they're so pissed off that they create the hunt in real life. But it doesn't take place in America. They go to, where is it, Hungary or something? I think it's like Croatia or something. Yeah. Some, something like that. Um, and recreate an American situation there. Which is funny that disguise. it's which is funny that it's Vermont. <laughs> uh, I know because Vermont is like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, well, I don't know. I I thought about Bernie Sanders because he's like the senator from there. Yeah, I know. Exactly. But it's, it's but it's so funny because it's like it's so funny because it's like uh, yeah, everybody was in this movie except the left, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, liberals are there and. But yeah, the left is completely sort of like overseen, and yeah, whatever. It's just um, I don't know. I I was remembering like the part of the debate and where 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 Trump is telling Biden that like, oh, you you're a socialist and you want to turn this like country socialist and like comparing him to Bernie Sanders, and it's like it's almost it's almost like if Trump and Biden weren't like debating against each other they were both just like expressing their hatred of the left um that's very true actually that is very very true yeah and yeah and in this movie it's they're just, on the same team yeah and in this movie it's just like um you know it's supposed to be a representation of two different sort of like political ideologies mm -hmm. but uh, somewhere along the way like just uh, liberal sensibilities became this, the the master signifier for the supposed left, um, but yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of depressing to to see that. Well, they really do own up for the for the for the derogatory term term uh, sn snowflake, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's what else is it gonna yeah. be? Yeah, and they and they also call um, it. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say yeah, they use names for their people that they've chosen to be killed as part of the hunt and all the people who have been chosen have been people who've been posting online um, about the conspiracy of this hunt. But yeah, they choose names from Animal Farm. And yeah, the one who survives is Snowball. Yeah, Snowball, yeah. Yeah. But, um, but you know, I think you're absolutely right. I haven't really thought about it in those terms in terms of Biden and Trump being on the same team really but they're different you know it's a narcissism of small differences that you know there's such like an extreme hatred between the two but the you know and talking about like cancel culture and also about the these two positions hating each other so much so you know the the deplorables quote unquote in this film rile those that start the hunt because they're the people who got those people cancelled from their jobs and obviously the people who created the hunt absolutely despising the um, deplorables and there's this kind of like syncretism of being caught in the same oppositional bind mm -hmm. and 
Um, I've talked to a lot of American friends about this because, you know, I really don't like identity politics at all. And a lot of American no. friends that I have have said, oh, you well, don't? You know, it's sorry. because you're European and mm-hmm. it's different in America because, you know, we need, you know, we have all these race issues. Da, da, da. I mean, but I'm, you know, I always say that I'm from a country where, like, literally, as an Irish tribe said, uh, identity politics was invented mm-hmm. and uh, it caused a three year conflict where I don't know if it's 3% of the population died, uh, three, a 30 year conflict. Huge, huge loss as a percentage of the population because of identity politics. And the only way we overcame the conflict was to, re- like, literally forgive each other in every sense. And murderers walk free, and you know, it's all you can do. So, I look forward to, or I don't look forward to, but you know, unless we're able to overcome the identity politics, it will just end in this kind of civil war, low-level civil war, cold civil war. But it's, it, you know, it requires a breaking of that libidinal bind into something completely different mm-hmm. to actually overcome it. And this concern, this um, libidinal investment in the past, yeah. um, really, you know, at some stage something has to break and, and for all the egregious things that happened in the past and happen throughout the world and in every corner of human history, like forgiveness has to occur at some stage to break this pattern. But do you really think it's like I mean, forgiveness is, is necessary? Shouldn't there be sort of like... No, but I think, I think it's not moral forgiveness oh. at all. I don't think it's moral forgiveness. I think it's like, it's like a... I don't know, maybe forgiveness isn't the term because I, yeah, I really, really hate moralism in politics. I think it's like vile um, and it isn't political at all. But it, and obviously forgiveness has that, has that idea of sin and overcoming sin and stuff. Um, acceptance maybe? Yeah. I mean, there's always like this sort of uh, uh, when the, the this moralistic sort of bend becomes a part of political uh, discourse, it, it's it's basically sort of like holding power over people that have a say in politics, depending on what they've done in their personal lives. And that's what's yeah. so crooked about uh, cancel culture. It's that it... it um. I don't know if you see sort of like a parallel between how they say that like oh the art is for people it's not for the artist and it, yeah. you know cause a lot of a lot of times it happens that people want to cancel artists because of a comment that they made or a tweet that they made or mm-hmm. or something that they did in their personal lives uh and they want to cancel the art because of the artist and I think maybe the same thing is happening in 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 politics where it's just like people want to hold politicians accountable for their personal lives uh when really politics mm-hmm. isn't isn't for the politician it's for people um yeah yeah i mean it's, it's profoundly anti-materialist i think to to see like people as having this sort of like special special moralistic value and it's like a kind of cult of personality that the personality trumps the collective mm-hmm. you know that some either positive trait or negative trait of an individual. It has some kind of like magical power over, you know, kind of casts a spell over everything that they materially do in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think there needs to be, yeah, the death of the author, yeah. the death of the politician, you know, so like they don't, at, at a certain point, they don't, you know, they're, they're a representative. They don't, their, their personal lives don't count. Yeah. And yeah. and uh, the opposition in the movie, um, there's something about it that is just like, 
I th- it's two different political ideologies of people that see themselves perfectly represented in in one team or another. And mm-hmm. I wonder, you know, because this is one of the... Lib- I've always thought that identity politics is basically something that belongs more to the right. Um, it's it's a yeah. right wing sort of, sort of is, thing yeah. or tool. And yeah, yeah it's, it, it's interesting because I think the left is, is supposed to be this thing that doesn't completely uh, uh, need representation. It doesn't, you don't mm-hmm. need to identify completely with like the signifier of like the common sort of like leftist man or woman. Um, it's, it, that's something that maybe should be left to the right and to liberals. And yeah, that's why, that's why the movie is also just like interesting to watch because it's, it's almost like watching uh, a fighting match or something like that, but you can root for one side because you identify with it. And uh, it, maybe the left just doesn't work for that, for that type of narrative, for that type of, of, of movie. Um, because yeah, you you don't see yourself completely represented in the screen, and you don't have to. Absolutely. I mean, a leftist wouldn't have to, or wouldn't have that necessity. And yeah, I just, um, what do you think? I mean, <laughs> capitalism, the way that the the, the way that uh, competition and and fighting uh, takes on a narrative sort of streak in 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 a capitalist narrative. Um, it's entertaining and you can make a movie out of it and it has like all the components there to make it an entertaining story and my question would be like can the left be entertaining or is it something that is akin to the real which is it can't be spoken Mm -hmm. it's something that it's it's it can't be articulated you know um yeah and precisely because of that it's difficult to make it into something that is uh yeah like entertaining for like a movie or something i mean the same thing no, happens I totally with, agree with you. yeah i mean i was like nintendo just released like this 35th anniversary thing and i was like i was like playing as mario and i was just like yeah this mm-hmm. is like totally capitalist it's just like you you, you there's like a repetition in you literally just like collecting coins you know <laughs> so yeah. like even like video games like these like they have sort of like a capitalist thing to it that makes it entertaining because of this like manifestation of death drive you know you're just like collecting and accumulating until you can't anymore uh yeah. and then you stop playing the game um yeah but yeah there's there's all these other like video games as well that is just like y- you know the the collection never stops and those are the ones that like make a shit ton of money uh mm-hmm. yeah and that, that those are yeah, the ones exactly. that i think are like closest to to like capitalism mm-hmm. i know it's interesting because i think uh, what the right does um and as you say you know there's a kind of like it's interesting because you see a lot of these in 20th century critical theory and analysis of capitalism the, you know, there's the idea of like grand narratives and master signifier and stuff and I think like whilst there are um, I think we can have a new understanding of those kinds of ideas and I think a lot of the stuff that was got out in the 20th century wasn't quite accurate but um, I think that the right overcomes contradiction with opposition mm-hmm. which as you say which you know which is the Harry Potter goodie versus baddie Slytherin versus Gryffindor, which is why I think liberals like literally turn to Harry Potter as an explanation for any, everything because it's 
<laughs> such a moralistic paradigm of good versus evil and that yeah that's like a right you know and what i what i see is like so so you know the american iteration of um evangelical late 20th century christianity versus the jesus figure so the jesus figure is the left and that is the right you know so it's overcoming so jesus is there to point out contradiction and to accept the enemy and to forgive and all these kinds of things which is literally yeah yeah i mean but then as soon as you turn it into some kind of grand narrative you have it from from contradiction to opposition and that makes it like really conducive to writing a fucking story yes. stories are all about opposition and overcoming and everything and so yeah i think it's really difficult to write a left-wing story yeah. and i think a lot of attempts just make become really right suddenly the other night i couldn't sleep so i was watching a really trashy movie to fall asleep which was this movie this rom-com called wimbledon and i don't know like there's so many films i haven't seen for years that then you see them in this light of like was that like you know, Paul? what is capitalist ideology? And Who's you're like, this movie? is awful. Paul Bettany and Kirsten Dunst. But it's mm. um, it's a, it's weird. I mean, they use these kind of, it's made in 2003, they use these innovative camera techniques, which, as I say, I guess is a plus for them. But it's really bad. It's a very bad script. And it's very, not very interesting, extremely predictable and very... Um, you know, I always kind of feel these rom-coms, it's like, so what happens next? You know, is this it? Is this, you so, so now you've, you've reached, you've reached your relationship and everything's fine. Like what? It really, I don't know. It, the, the thing is, I kind of think maybe though, when you've kind of like had the conversion mm -hmm. <laughs> into a, a way that of seeing the world outside this kind of capitalist ideology, it doesn't work on you anymore. So you require more kind of quote unquote left-wing stories. And I think the hunt is an example of that in a lot of European films of the 20th century. Well, isn't there actually... stories than right. Isn't there actually a line in the movie that kind of eliminates that where... It, where I'm, I'm trying to remember, but it's, I think Betty Gilpin tells Hillary Swank, it's just like, and you're, you're, uh, you're, you're a crazy bitch or something like that. And then Hillary yeah. Swank is like, uh, yeah, but I know that I'm a crazy bitch, so that makes me not a crazy bitch. I can't remember. I haven't seen it for a couple of months now. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, it's kind of like what you're saying. It's just like, as soon as you identify with it, it's just like, you you don't have to anymore. Yeah. I do. It's, it's just, it's interesting because I, I, I really like your idea of just, yeah, can, how do you make a kind of a, a quote, unquote, I hate the term. It's so annoying that so many of the, um, th there's this sort of um, stencil version of the quote, unquote, left these years. I mean, like the rose emoji type thing is, I think is, You know, part, uh, partly an identifying factor where there's a lot of like words spoken in the in the name of leftism, but they have nothing to do with anything radical at all. So you know, like radical feminism and all this stuff. I'm like, what does it even mean? So when I say the word radical, I just mean like um, libidinally dis disinvested from from accumulation. Mm -hmm. um, but like, yeah, it, it it's it is very easy to create stories. Um, And as you say, like uh, narratives based on opposition, overcoming, and uh, how do you how do you create a narrative? How do you create, as you say, entertainment? I think you can, and I think art as such is very of the left. Um, but I think also the problem is that so much has become commodified now that it's really hard to be able to make work that's radical 
because how do you survive when everything is fucking so so heavily commodified? Yeah. No, how do you how do you have, yeah? I mean, capitalism is sort of just like obsessed with entertaining with things that are impossible to achieve. Uh, yeah. Which is why it's sort of like it, it problematizes even you know I, I don't think it's a coincidence that Netflix released this uh, or or is distributing this show of Freud. <laughs> Did you watch that shit? Well, the the detective thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't watch it. Like, no, I mean, it's, yes. it's awful, but, like, it's so funny that um, when there is an attempt to even include sort of, like, Fro like a Freudian yeah. uh, uh, narrative, it, it just, it has to change. Because yeah, yeah, do exactly. doing it straight up is almost, like, you know, it's... it's it's kind of impossible and it, it happens in the, in a dangerous method too. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's also interesting that, um, you know, Jung compared to Freud is, is more of just like a capitalist sort of therapy. Yeah. And, yeah, absolutely. And script writers and, and producers and, you know, they have no problem sort of like implementing yeah. Jungian ideas into movies. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a really, um, there's a kind of form of screenwriting that I, I really think is very good based on this, a guy's insight into the story form, which is like, a, yeah, it's a tool. It's like a, um, who, uh, he's really into, you know, but he's a trained philosopher. So he doesn't, I think despite himself, he doesn't actually like buy into it that much. But the thing is stories exist in every, um, have existed in every form of human life mm -hmm. ever. Um, and so, and I think some of the best films were those that came out of Soviet Russia, although obviously there is this thing of like Soviet Russia, okay, this is going to sound weird, was capitalistic in its own sense as an overcoming contradiction in sure. a different direction. But I think that's just capitalism. I think that's what capitalism is. But um, yeah, so I think it's possible, but I think it's difficult. And it, like all the techniques of storytelling these days is, you know, the four point opposition you know, da, da 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 conflict in every scene, overcoming one single goal that's difficult to achieve that you have to know by the end of the story, have they achieved it or not? But I think it is pos I think it is possible, but I think it's extremely difficult. And I think it is um, often disturbing to people who watch it, who are really within yes. capitalist ideology, and they don't know why they don't like it, but they don't like it. Yeah, because yeah. it just it just they just can't it, it rubs them up the wrong way in some way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it, it would be a movie that doesn't have a sort of like satisfactory resolution. Um, mm -hmm. and, and yeah, I think a friend and I were talking the other day about like, are people good or bad? Which is, you know, I, yeah. I don't really love that question. The premise is just all charged. But mm -hmm. we were talking about how, you know, for some people, being neutral is evil, right? Uh, so let's say that like a baby is born, right? And mm -hmm. because he has no agency, um, he's he could be considered evil because he's just a, a, a sort of like a passive bystander. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just like to be good, you have to do good things. And if you believe that not doing anything is like an evil thing, then yeah, you're sort of like born evil, right? Yeah. And, and I do think that people have this sort of tendency where things need to be very neatly brought to to a satisfactory closure and mm -hmm. it, it happens sometimes in movies where it's just like it's an ambiguous ending and mm -hmm. i think it's difficult to sell that 
at least to you. But you know, I think that's the thing. I think it's difficult to sell. But the thing is, okay, so what I would say is I don't, I of course don't think that everybody is evil. I think there's like evil exists in the world, but I think everybody, I, I view people equally, I hope, or, you know, sort of try to. And I think also people are much more intelligent than the market system gives them credit for, especially those, I think intelligence can be um, sort of, really repressed by market forces and often those who are more, more quote-unquote successful under the market system who buy more into the ideology of capital are able to less to see things less clearly than others essentially and you know Todd did a really good video on universality he's talking about the master-slave dialectic and how the, the slave is he you know has a universalist vision and because the master is so imbued with a pursuit of the particular they can be completely blinded to the reality of the real mm-hmm. and and i see this with my own work so um it can be really difficult because you know we i work in an industry where it costs a lot of money to make films and you require an audience and um the 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 industry has more and more and more got um, skewed towards quote-unquote trade whatever the fuck that means but um state systems were designed in europe originally to protect indigenous well indigenous to europe art house films but what they've done is siphoned you know it's just the usual what's happened is socialism for the rich socialism for corporations and the money has gone to tax breaks for massive corporations coming to film it so the point being is the the industry quote-unquote whatever that is is extremely market focused and risk averse. So what I get is uh, normal people or audiences who really enjoy my work um, and then gatekeepers who are like, um, I re- it looks really nice, but I, we don't really like this type of story or it's too intellectual or it's too challenging. Mm-hmm. So then what we have is like, this is how... <laughs> You know, the market system is kind of dumb because, well, there's an audience there. But the only thing in between is this um, PMC yeah. <laughs> kind of I, vision of the world that dictates what gets released to people. Mm-hmm. And it, it is so because those who fill those roles come from a certain stratum of society that is more ideologically capitalistic than those either side of them and it's like an impasse and it's really fucking annoying yeah because i think that audiences do you know things can be and this is what i mean when i was saying earlier about you occasionally get people who say like i like it but i don't like it and i don't know why normal people aren't those because i actually think this is the thing i think the majority of people um normal people who experience the normal difficulties of life after a certain point, you witness how difficult, traumatic and hard life is and how the market system is fucked. Mm-hmm. But those who potentially um, don't see that as much yeah. are those who are within. And I think this is what has happened with the university as well, why the university has become so... And I know people who work in the universities and they say to their colleagues, oh, I like Slavoj Žižek. And it's like, what the fuck? No. You know, um, it's almost like a, a black word. Um, because Did you say black? No, I'm just kidding. Oh. A black word. I don't know. It's yeah, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> an invented phrase. But yeah, I think there's a there's a, a really difficult logic there. And I think this is why, you know, there's people, independent journalists on YouTube who have more views than all of the newspapers combined Mm -hmm. 
but they're like not regarded by those systems as you know legitimate in any way yeah so i do have faith in humanity but i don't have faith in market systems yeah and yeah well because market systems are always just like they're they're about they're about dust drive and maintaining dust drive and there's this interesting thing that absolutely there's this interesting thing that that zizek talks about where it says you know death drive is not it's not the desire to die it's actually Mm -hmm. the desire to transcend transcend and i think there's an interesting Mm -hmm. sort of like connection there with uh yeah like say marvel movies for example where there's no risk at all in the movies you know like characters can die Mm-hmm. but they'll they'll be brought back and isn't that like yeah. such a perfect uh, a, 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 like explanation of like what death drive is it's just like they to bring something back to life so that it can die again and then be brought back mm-hmm. to life again and you have like this endless sort of uh, regeneration and yeah there's there's no there's no risk at all like for example in the last um avenger movie um one of the one of the characters dies um in in sort of like the universe like for good right but a few months later there's like trailers of a like a like an origins story Mm -hmm. movie of this character that died so didn't really die i mean if you continue that story like maybe she wouldn't come back i'm sure maybe they would find a way though uh but in the market it continues like you can even go back in time to sort of like make another trilogy or whatever uh Mm -hmm. so yeah i think there's like an enjoyment in that as well that it's like you know it feeds on into this this fear that people have of letting go of things um And I think that that's something that is more about the left, you know, to have the courage to leave behind certain structures, certain forms that no longer work at all. And I think there's a yeah. sense of nostalgia and conservatism that has like possessed uh, the the liberals' narrative mm-hmm. uh, to want to to want to like maintain and collect the past, you know, and and yeah, and, and, yeah. Go on. No, I was just going to say that, like, because you mentioned right now, like, Harry Potter, and it's so mm-hmm. funny, it's so cringy, like, seeing these memes that liberals make. Uh, uh, I saw one, I saw one today where it was just, like, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Donald Trump playing Quidditch in heaven, and Donald Trump looking up at a, a sort of, like, a celestial uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and being like, wow, I have so much to learn from you in this place. And it's just, like, it's so cringy because it's it's completely infantile, right? Uh, it, yeah. it just, like, it's it shows, like, this, like, Disneyfication of, like, adults right now. And I think it has to do with that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the fear of losing whatever it is that you already have instead of mm-hmm. being courageous enough to tear it down in order for something new to arise and yeah Absolutely. and i think that um uh yeah i don't know i lost my train of thought no i there, there are a few things there are three things i think in relation to what you're saying that really came up for me the first was i think i said before maybe our, our episode where we were talking about the commodification of um the protest movements of 2020 and um i think you know there was a time in my life where I would have looked at somebody like Rosa Luxemburg, who like literally died for her beliefs, being like, why would you do that? I couldn't understand doing that. And then there becomes a stage where you become so, it becomes so clear to you how the market works that like, no, I, w- I would do the same. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if you've experienced that when I'm like, no, I, I actually would do the same. And um, <laughs> it's probably like really silly, but that's a completely like non-capitalistic thing. And I'm not talking about dying for beliefs that are bad beliefs. I mean, as in like, um, if it came to it and I had to renounce a certain thing that I thought was a perverse function of, um, I had to re- renounce a belief against something that I thought was a perverse function of the capitalist market. Like I couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, and I think it because it's become, it becomes so clear. And sometimes I think like, God, am I really shooting myself in, in the foot with my work? And I just become more kind of like cynical and just write shit. And, but I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. And the mm. thing is, it's like, especially the work, it's much worse. I have much more respect for people who cynically write shit than people who create, um, stuff that has the aesthetic of being radical, but actually it's just a second degree of repression of yep. the perversion of the system. I think it's even worse. And um, that connects to like the Mark Fisher thing of like the, the cancellation of the future, which could, I think could also be read as like the repression of the future. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was remembering this this quote from Tad Delay where he's saying where he was saying that the mind desires epistemic sta- stasis, like mm-hmm. given the choice mm-hmm. between anxiety mm-hmm. and change in the world, whether it's mm-hmm. political or social or whatever, uh, people are going to choose to keep the world stable, even if it, yeah. even if it's something that is like self-destructive, maybe even especially if it's self-destructive, because you can find pleasure yeah. in that, or like pleasure in the pain. But yeah, I think that, yeah, maybe absolutely, that yeah, absolutely. There's, there's something about like this, like this desire to keep on repeating childhood that has to do mm-hmm. with, with not so much maybe because I, I think a lot of boomers like to say like, Oh, it's just like people that don't want to grow up. No, it's just like people that are afraid of the world and they're just like trying to hold on to whatever it is that they, they had before mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. wanting to repeat that, you know? Um, I think it's about, yeah, I think it's about like the repression, the, the repression of the future and the manifestation of death drive in late stage capitalism where, uh, yeah, you, you don't desire something new. You, you'd rather take comfort in what you already know. Absolutely. It's interesting. Um, Which is why you know, Trump is going to win. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the, the funny thing <laughs> is, like, the, the only thing that could have happened is if he like, died from coronavirus. But, yeah. um, but the fact, the thing that I was going to say is, um, well, there's a couple of things. So it's funny, we have these conversations where we go on and on and on about the same things. But I think the fact is, it's like you can't articulate these things without having a long term conversation, because like, there's no words for it. Um, but also that the, uh, I was gonna say, you know, we talked about annihilation with, with Todd, like, I think last year. But for me, Death Drive is when the Tessa Thompson character, is it Tessa Thompson who transforms into a tree? Yeah. Like, that is Death Drive. It's, like, reunited with an apparent infinite. Like, the bad infinite, and I think this is the thing with with hippies. Like, that is, like, de- death is, real death is a belief that you are part of this infinite or that you yourself can, like... Um, I don't know, can can just can never die in some fight, like heaven, the idea of that. But actual, like, actual death is, uh, is death, death, right? But actual death is, like, you know, I think Simon Critchley said, like, that he believes in the, the afterlife. He believes in those who come after and that you, when you die, you become the minerals in the ground that become the food for the next person, to, you yeah. know, the next generation. Like, like um yeah, but you, you know, don't. We, we you don't like, exist. Like you don't have agency once you die. Like you, no, you leave no, no remnant other than just no. like maybe to be consumed. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I think if you're um, if you're a writer, if you're a musician, if you're an artist of some sorts, 
uh, you know, there's this idea also that I think is very capitalist and should be let go that you need to leave a sort of like the legacy of your art and that you need to leave a, your mark uh, in, in, in the world. And I don't think that that, I mean, first of all, I don't think that should be desired directly. I think maybe that's an offshoot. But secondly, what you leave behind is not your mark. It's the mark of your art, which is separate from what you, from mm -hmm. what you are. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just thought about that. Um, what was I going to say? That it's, so we're working on a, a sci-fi film about the end of the world. And there's two, there's a, a capitalist and a um, who who is well it's a, a mercenary who works for this the corporations and then a scientist who is part of a former state um organization and they are trying to um they've created a machine that can uh, reverse the second law of thermodynamics and essentially like make the world eventually implode and the capitalist wants to further space exploration life goes on forever and ever and ever so there's two types of infinite and for me one is the bad infinite which is the capitalist like infinite going forward 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 it never ends but the good infinite which is like the hegelian good infinite is a perpetual circle of life <laughs> or like subjectivity itself where it just goes round and round and the, it's the circularity of it that is infinite and there's no there's no infinite progression there just is and so yeah basically in the film like the world gets obliterated so that it can start again it's based on this um the writings of this soviet philosopher called Ivald Ilyenkov who believed oh, yeah. that yeah, he posited that humans only existed as a manifestation of the real <laughs> so yeah. that they could eventually in like instigate the death of the universe for it to start again and that's how what humans are there for but yeah um yeah well, that's pretty interesting. Are you, how's it going with that? Are you, do you think, are you going to start shopping it around or what? Well, I haven't finished. I'm still kind of working on the script. Like I've, I've been really, I don't know about you. Like it's, it, this year has been really bad for writing stuff. And mm. I find writing for me is like the only real like generation the rest is coloring in. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know. So um, I have it like percolating, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah. It, it, for me, it was like the beginning of the year before COVID started that I was like, yeah. fuck, like in the worst place possible, uh, emotionally. Really? Um, yeah. But yeah, it, um, I guess it was like maybe when my son was born that I just started feeling better. I don't know if it was that or if it was just nice. like quarantine and I didn't have to see people, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, just kidding. But yeah, I don't know. It's been good for me. Um, mm -hmm. I finally started uh, like a few projects and I'm, I'm being so more... But I don't know. I don't know about you, but I also kind of resent the fact that it's just like I sometimes I sometimes measure like my my well being as directly related to my productivity. Yeah, I know it's terrible, and it's something I really want to. I like really wish I could um, overcome. And there's periods where I can overcome it. I always find like reading one of Todd's books, like for the few months afterwards, I'll feel like really freed. And then yeah. I actually think I, not to be capitalistic about it, because this is the thing, it's like, it's really hard to like, overcome this tendency, but like, I think I do my best work, but then, you, then one always comes into kind of like a, a state as a human being where you want to, as you say, like you want to continue, you want to, so I did this yesterday. So I want to be able to do the same again tomorrow. And yeah. then you end up like not being in the place where you're actually like receptive to novelty. Yeah. Um, and I think this is like novelty is like so important in kind of a leftist perspective and this is the idea of like the Christian conversion in a Jesus sense as well it's like you I love that I actually have zero religious background as I reiterate all the time but like you know you've got to be open to conversion at any at any point 
Yeah. And I do think that like being able to, 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 but then at some stage, yeah, you have to like systematize to get things done and stuff. But, um, but yeah, no, should we, should we talk about the other, the other, the hunt? Yeah, let's do it. So uh, this is a Danish film from 2012. It's about a um, guy who works in a nursery. It's a very tight knit community in, in, in Denmark in sort of a country kind of area where um, a lot of the men enjoy hunting on the weekends. But he is a, um, a kind of teacher at, a, at, a, at a, uh, a nursery school. And there is a young girl there who kind of has emotional problems. She's very sensitive. And she's the daughter of um, this teacher's best friend. Mm-hmm. And she witnesses some things at home. She has a teenage brother who shows her porn and she really likes Lucas, who's the who's the teacher. And she kind of, you know, children do. I'm sure you've seen this. Like children between the age of like three and six have like quite a lot of sexual, I don't know, so, interest. Let's just say. And so she she's sort of in her own way in love with Lucas. And Lucas kind of um, tells her that she 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 kisses him on the lips at one stage, and she he says, no, you have to. This is not appropriate, blah, blah, blah. And then she goes to the lady who runs the nursery and says that Lucas showed showed her his penis and that it was, a you know, she, because um, she's seen it in her brother's porn that he shows her on an iPad, um, you know, what an erect penis looks like. And she says, oh, it was whatever. And um, the teacher, obviously, in this kind of believe believe all children children are infinitely innocent they can't they can't lie is something that is a a motif that comes up children just don't lie you know whatever the latest kind of pedagogical yeah <laughs> ideologies and um so she asks very very leading questions that confirm that the child uh has experienced this and they get a specialist in who again asks extremely leading questions to confirm what he always already wants to believe mm-hmm. And so without, because when it comes to these cases of sexual assault, the innocent before proven guilty, obviously is like a gray area because how do you prove these things? But he's fired, he loses his job. He, his son has come to live with him. His son isn't allowed to live with him anymore. He, you know, is violently attacked. He's not allowed to, because it's a very tight-knit community. They really reject him. Then eventually the police do an investigation. They discover that um, all these other children as well at the nursery start saying because the parents are told to look out for symptoms of abuse which are nightmares wetting the bed <laughs> as in things that children do and children start to invent stories about how they um, were sexually abused by Lucas including details of going to his house and being taken to the basement um, yeah. the police do an investigation discover that there's no basement and he's acquitted Um, And he's welcomed back into the community. But the final um, scene of the film is there's Lucas's son is initiated into kind of the hunting group as a as a young adult. And there's a celebratory hunt. This is a year after the initial incident. They're out all in the countryside on their own. And some guy tries to shoot Lucas, but he can't see who it is because the way, you know, he's looking towards the sunlight. Um, So, yeah, so he's essentially still ostracized. Yeah. Um, and he loses everything for something he didn't do. It's such painful watching. Yeah, <laughs> really is like everyone's worst nightmare. Yeah. Um, this has happened in real life, hasn't it? Yeah, I'm sure it happens a lot. I mean, I know people. People, it's happened to actually in various degrees. Various degrees. Actually, I was reading the other day that um, some like a, a vast majority 
of marriages or or divorces <laughs> like include that like it's pretty common that a wife will be like oh yeah like i want to divorce him because he molested my kids <laughs> and a lot of the time it's not true i mean it's just something that's <laughs> used sort of like to sway the yeah. Like the you know towards a bad reputation for the for the father. I mean, yeah, obviously, like sexual assault exists, and a lot happens, a, a huge amount, and there's obviously like degrees, you know, yeah. of like absolute, you know, horrendous rape to kind of like, you know, various things. But um, yeah, in this film, it's very clear that nothing happened. Um, yeah. And I think the thing that, uh, obviously the interesting thing is about scapegoating and how uh, societies kind of form around a scapegoat and how there is a real, it's just like a, an instinctual um, move towards doing this. Very, you know, it's, it's very satisfying. And I think also that the, the, the certainty of the teacher really speaks to a kind of like yeah. a satisfaction that she gets in the reality of this happening yeah. it's almost like oh, i knew it oh my god you know and a real kind of um inability to see otherwise like people just you know it really is something that we we tend to do is see another as um inhumane as particularly evil and it's around which we can we can like group ourselves as not that i also think it's really interesting this like believe children at all costs and it's almost more traumatic for the mother and for the teacher to accept that the child is lying than and that the child has lost her innocence as a liar than the child has been sexually assaulted and the child has lost her innocence that way. Yeah. 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 Well, there's like a, I think there's a, there's a relationship to the first movie as well, <laughs> at least in some level. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, what happens is that, you know, at the end of the movie, he seems like he's being accepted back into the community. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, that's quickly sort of like uh, denied. And mm -hmm. you can tell that this guy, like his life has been marked like forever. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's no there's no getting around it. Maybe maybe he, wa he wasn't going to be having like a lot of different like confrontations with people. But, um, you know, for sure, like once in a while, like he would be known as like, oh, the guy that, you know, everybody said that was a pedophile. Even if it's like mm -hmm. uh, apophatic, there's still, mm -hmm. there's still there. No smoke without fire. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like he went from the guy that, you know, oh, the guy that is a pedophile to the guy that is just yeah. like, oh, the guy that turned out not to be a pedophile. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, he didn't yeah. go back to just being Lucas, you know? Mm -hmm. Um and it happens and it's ha and it happens because of like the way that people need certainty rather than you know and like how we were saying just like and a deeper investigation would have been yeah something that that quickly is replaced by just like a sense of certainty about like i know the mm -hmm. truth about this guy because it's mm -hmm. it's comforting in some way even if it's like accepting a truth that is horrible um and and it yeah and it happens it's just like and it's it's invoked in the community that that he mm -hmm. that he is a, is a pedophile and even if it's not even if it's not the truth like it ends up having material consequences that are going to follow him the rest of his life and the same thing mm -hmm. happened in the hunt the other movie the 2021 where some rumors started because of a joke hillary mm -hmm. could make a joke or made a joke or some shit and then uh 
you know, people start saying that there's like this rumor thing. And then she says at the end, it's like, yeah, it wasn't even true. Like we started it because people were saying that we did it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just like, that's why it matters. I mean, it matters what people say. I mean, the best you can do, I think, is just like not pay attention to it and then just move on mm -hmm. with your life. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's just like words do have power, even if that sounds like <laughs> kind of Christian. Or oh, yeah, absolutely. And if I'm reading um, the Darian Leader book about why people get ill. Mm -hmm. And it's about, you know, and it, basically, you know, from a psychoanalytic perspective, um, illnesses are obviously real, but there's there is um, at times a, um, a manifestation or a sudden beginning of symptoms in relation to something on a psychoanalytic perspective and that what you know we are inscribed by language so the way in which you, there is also you know we talk about the the different broad kind of buckets you can fall into structurally in terms of the structure of subjectivity like um, neurotic perverse or um psychotic and the psychotic is less um overridden by language and so can experience often more um, physical symptoms and a certain like I don't know like hysteria as well the you know feminine quote-unquote form of neurosis like language functions in a certain way so and often like men who might be obsessional don't experience anything then like die all of a sudden yeah. so you know they're definitely there was also there's a chapter on like kind of um how pro prophecies about times of death can happen and actually really happen yeah um but uh yeah I mean I was just, I was just gonna say really quick um I think this is what Lacan means by there is no big other uh, when it yeah. comes to uh, like the way that people can start rumors and those rumors mm -hmm. will literally become material. Um, yeah. I think there's a, I think there's a way in which there's a connection to like, I know you don't, you don't, you never read the Bible, but <laughs> there's a, <laughs> there's an, there's an interesting story there where God is, is going to destroy, uh, I think it's Sodoma and Gomorrah. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, he wants to destroy it with like rain of fire or whatever. And mm -hmm. and there's a guy that comes out and he starts like bargaining with God and being like, no, wait, like give him give him more time, give him a few days and they'll come to their senses or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, God is like, it can be bargained with, which immediately mm -hmm. means that he's not the big other. I mean, like, mm -hmm. first of all, he speaks and that makes him sort of like, you know, he's in the symbolic order. And mm -hmm. yeah, I think that in in the movie, for example, the 2013 one is just like people introduce into the symbolic order of the language of the community that he mm -hmm. is a pedophile. And uh, it doesn't matter if it's true or not, because there is no big other. Uh, it's, yeah. it's what people introduce into the symbolic order and what yeah. the symbolic order feedbacks into the minds again. Uh, you know, it, it literally make it material. And that's why that's why you know words do have sort of like authority and yeah, yeah i think there's a distinction there between like power and authority and and yeah words do have like authority i absolutely agree it's interesting as well that now kind of it's often interesting to see things that become um you know quote unquote politicized or even marketized on an ideological level in terms of uh movements that are claiming to be radical yeah. and often they speak to issues that were way more of a massive deal 50 years ago, whatever, and kind of seem very late in the day in their arrival when those issues aren't really an issue anymore. Um, but then one wonders how much this like reintroduction or introduction when 
at, of, a, of a huge time lag because the thing is it's like things become um, marketized when they're no longer like threatening to the overall system of the society so you know when when we're talking about banks giving billions of dollars to a certain organization when those things that they're talking about are legitimate but were relevant at a time when it would be way more dangerous to actually say anything about it yeah but then the prevalence of those ideas in the in the society it's like to what extent people experience and this is you know there's obviously a question of like experiential and kind of phenomenological idea of what something is like experience now more quote-unquote sexual assault than they did like when obviously there was more of it at a given time although i mean that's kind of like a one questions whether there was more before because of other reasons but anyway like but you know what i mean it like the kind of questioning of what is something and things can then in retrospect be brought to light as something that you weren't experienced as something before and then they become that because of the new symbolic conditions or you do you know what i mean yeah and it is yeah isn't that why people hate trump i mean yeah because he just like you can literally show him a, like i don't know a yellow box or whatever and he'll be like no it's not yellow uh it's uh, it's white and everybody knows it's white and like yeah it's it's the white box and, and that's it and then and then people are just like that's hilarious because he's like literally just like not even waiting for it to materialize like yeah. coming back from the symbolic order he's just like yeah he, he he's like pretending that that doesn't matter and while everybody yeah. else has to pretend like you know if i say it long enough it'll become true but i have to wait and this guy is just like yeah. doesn't wait like, at all. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. You're know, talking about the um, the debates, how he just will not. It, you know, the rule was you can speak for two minutes, and the other spe- person speaks for two minutes, but he just doesn't do it. Yeah. It's like I just yeah. <laughs> just know, you know, and that is very yeah. Everyone else kind of is sort of um, abiding by rules and but the, repressing certain but parts it's also of themselves. Like, to, yeah, it's also hard to to blame him because it's not like he listens to himself i mean because because he, he can tell like chris wallace like okay i'll, I'll uh, uh i'm sorry chris wallace can tell him is just like be quiet and you can already expect that trump is not going to like listen to that right but mm-hmm. trump will sometimes like contradict himself well he does it a lot but he'll be like yeah. okay i'm gonna let joe answer this one and he agrees and then he breaks his own rule like yeah I mean, it's just like he—he's he, like completely just like devoid of any big other. I mean, he really is psychotic. Mm-hmm. I know it's really—it's funny. He just doesn't—he doesn't. And that's why but people. Yeah, like you, him. I remember you said this the other day. Well, yeah, it's why they like and dislike him because you were saying the other day the thing that pisses people off the most about him is that he just—he's having a great time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, maybe he isn't, but he appears to be having a great time. Yeah. You know, he just eats McDonald's yeah. only and and wears ridiculous fake tan and like sits on a gold loo, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. like um, he's pure id. <laughs> he's so fat. He has such a fat ass. I mean, it's just like <laughs> he should be like in a Cardi B video or something. <laughs> it is quite amazing. He's got he's got a real like what's the word like um bubble butt. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's a real kind of like curve. Yeah, He's there's got this a curvaceous. Yeah, there's a Kardashian aesthetic to it. Yeah, it's almost like a kind of like a Botticelli, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Wait, who was that? Who was the 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 Cuban uh, painter 
Bot- Botero, do you know him? No, I don't. Yeah, Botero like just like draws like comically fat people. Um, yeah. And yeah, he looks kind of like that. Actually, I know he's. Yeah, I think if Botero sort of bit- if Botero would would paint Donald Trump, it was there would be no difference. He's just so round. It is weird. It's funny. I often find like. Um, there's a type of man that like obviously they're wearing suits yeah. so that the box shape of the suit and obviously like the bigger the suit that it's all in proportion so yeah. it just like kind of you don't really pick it up until you actually like, look beyond the suit and i think it was that picture of his yeah. behind from the <laughs> well, trump's, it was just like, well trump's suits are starting to resemble because he's gotten fatter like during the yeah. presidency and it, it's like it's getting really close to just looking like a graduation gown <laughs> 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 but the funny thing is so the other thing is about you know the thing of him enjoying himself is he like um he just doesn't give a shit like so his hair looks so bad yeah. and it's like <laughs> we all know that there's no hair there yeah. and what you've done is you've got this massive like comb over that you've shaped so we all know that there's no actual like roots there it's just all like plop like you know yeah. we know and yet you still fucking do it yeah 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 <laughs> But yeah, do you, I mean, do you think he knows, or do you think he just like convinces him in himself by sheer will that he has? Well, this hair? is the thing. It's like I guess it's like is this one big troll, or is it like totally sincere? I mean, it's funny. So um, I think we've talked about it before, and I, I'm kind of seeing it more and more now. Like I was quite into um, what's he called? I can't remember the name of him. The Meta Modernist Manifesto. I think it was published like over ten years ago now. But like in the first like stuff that I was making artistically, I was kind of like into that kind of as Wes Anderson might in um, Genet, French director might be examples where there's a kind of a sincerity and also kind of like a like postmodern and yeah, an earnestness at the same time as kind of like a um, a, um, a jovialness or kind of like. Um, sending up or like an exaggeration or surreality at the same time and I think Red Scare falls into this mm-hmm. where they're both sincere and like it's a huge joke so is, is Trump like the like the metamodern <laughs> president where he's like both at the same time sincerely like right wing and like an idiot but also like he really and like a complete yeah like completely convinced by his own ideas but also just like yeah what the fuck i'm in the white house dude yeah. you know Meh. yeah i don't know no i think I th- two things at once i mean i think that like <laughs> i think the reason why it, i think it, it almost doesn't matter like yeah. what trump really thinks of himself or like of, of or the world and what he wants to do I think it just matters to people that in some way they're like being entertained and they like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I do kind of think that like Trump, regardless of whether he's trying to be funny or not, is like a great comedian. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he yeah. when he made that tweet that he, he got, that he and, and Melania got covid, um, mm-hmm. people were saying like, you did it, you crazy son of a bitch. You did it like speaking to covid. Um, but I think that that should be told to Trump directly. It's just like, he's, (laughs) he's pulling off the greatest joke in all of humanity, like in the history of humanity. And he's, and he's ending it in the perfect way, you know, by getting, by dying of COVID. That's like the ultimate punchline. I know. It is a great show, isn't it? I mean, and it is like, and it is like, you did it, Trump, you did it. You crazy son of a bitch. You're you're going to, you're going to (laughs) go all the way with the joke you you didn't you really didn't wear the mask yeah. you know it's funny because i feel like when when boris because it's always like a, a likening of boris johnson and, and trump yeah to me like boris johnson is just like a classical liberal um yeah. 
in the British sense and Trump is just really something else. And when, when Boris got it, um, got COVID and, you know, nearly died, there was, I think it was profound, much more destabilizing to people. Mm-hmm. And the flippancy with which people have responded to Trump um, I think shows that like people, you know, it, it, it isn't the same. Like there isn't sort of a, like, oh my God, what if we lose our president? This is like shocking. It's just, what, what, you know, this is, he's a different character. Um, and it, I mean, I really thought that with these, this debate, like the first is tragedy, then is farce. I mean, like the Hillary debate compared to this, the Hillary debate was like, he did that weird thing where he would like hover behind him. Yeah, that I think was the second or third one, but this one was just—it was unbelievable. Well, he has to compensate because he's obviously gotten dumber. Um, he's not as sharp <laughs> as he was, like in yeah, when he yeah. was debating Hillary. He he really isn't, yeah. and I think he's compensating by just like interrupting and not even like mm-hmm. allowing a space where he's going to think. I mean, he had a he had a actually a few good good lines. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but but it's just like. The only reason is because he's debating Joe Biden. I mean, Joe Biden is like so low energy and boring and just like deteriorating. I know the thing that Trump was correct about was like this person's low caliber person. I mean, in terms of like politician, I think made the comment about how he, who knows if it's true or not. I mean, who even cares? Joe Biden looked awful. I mean, he looked awful. He looked like a, the thing is, he looked like a, like a plate of porridge i mean just like gr- completely gray and just like you know, it's funny. <laughs> what my friend elliot and i wrote, have just finished the script and one character when we when she's introduced is described as having skin like oatmeal <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. It's exactly what it is like this aged <laughs> person but the um um the, the the thing is i mean i have to say it was the end of everything when the member of the democratic party quote unquote so establishment quote unquote so you know, um, decorous said, shut up, man, and you're a clown. Yeah. I mean, we all know that Trump was going to do that. So the tactic did work. You know, maybe Trump didn't have the confidence to to just stand on his own two feet as a as a debater. And he brought he brought the, the Democrats down to his level. I mean, it was appalling, appalling. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I think, yeah, it was just, he did a bit, yeah, it was... Um, it was terrible. It was, terrible. but he he also, you know, the 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 moderator just did not have the um, charisma, or wasn't able to conjure the charisma because of the conditions of the debate. No, to, he's to just a fucking this, nerd. I mean, not- he's just a fucking nerd. He looks like a nerd. Uh, I don't know. Like none of these people have charisma. They really don't. Like no, it's, no, I know. They, I don't. I don't know how they're there. I mean. This is the thing, what I will say about the most underrated profession in the universe, which I think is a teacher's, like the level of charisma that um, an elementary school teacher has to have to keep day in, day out, 20, 36 year olds entertained and listening to something that's fundamentally boring. Like (laughs) it is astounding the level of charisma you'll see amongst teachers in a school compared to, to on screen often. Yeah. Um, one last thing I was going to say though about the hunt number two the Danish one why do you think under um, the conditions of today do we um, deem children to be so um, above humanity sort of like so angelic do people really think that or is it just because they're scared to accept like children's sexuality like I was I was reading this Vargas Mm -hmm. Llosa uh, novel the Mm -hmm. other day it's like uh how would you say it? It's well, it's elogio. Do you know how to say elogio in English? Well, 
Elogio de la Madrastra, it's called. Uh, and it's just, it's a, it's a novel about a, about a family and there's like a stepmother. This 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 family is like uh, there's a stepmother there and then the guy's son, uh, biological son. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they have a great, great marriage. I think they had an open marriage before and then they get married. And then uh, the son starts like to develop a relationship with the grandmother with the, with the grand. Mm-hmm. What the fuck did I say? Grandmother, uh, stepmother. Stepmother, yeah. And um Yeah, what what ends up happening is is like they start like a sexual relationship. It's not clear how old the kid is, but it's like he seems like pretty pretty young. Anyway, uh, they like the dad finds out and and kicks the the mother out, and then mm-hmm. uh, you you can tell at the end of the novel that actually the kid like is evil and he was planning <laughs> it all along. Like he was just mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm gonna sleep with her so that my dad is going to like kick her out of the house and then uh the cleaning lady confronts him and uh just telling him it's just like i know that i know what you did like you did it on purpose and he starts hitting on <laughs> the maid uh like he mm-hmm. like he wants to sleep with her that like the novel ends like that and you know it's funny like it's it's just like a crazy a, a crazy story but Um, yeah, I think it goes to show is like if children had sexuality, like what are our fears? Our our fears become like different than what they are right now. It it literally yeah. is just like you would have to rearrange like society if you take into yeah. consideration like uh, children's sexuality. I mean, of course, fucking Nambla and shit would like it. I don't know. It's just like that's. I think that's the worry that eventually it would become a thing of just like it's it's like is consensual relationship with children like a thing that that is supposed to happen it's just yeah i mean it's a horrible thing and um i was going to say that i think though that that seeing childhood in those terms like it has a lot to tell us about like how subjectivity forms i mean um the way i see subjectivity forming and i think it's just nothing new is you know in relation to being part of the mother being born you're essentially still a you're premature in relation to other animals um and it's that prematurity because of the <laughs> biological structure of being an ape standing up that um you still become you're still essentially part of the mother until you wean and you separate and it's that separation that's something that is unique to human subjectivity that causes a split and the split is the is the sense of lack mm-hmm. then that lack marks everything and therefore you know we are marked by certain things from the get-go you know these are also sexuality no yeah no that is sexual absolutely that is sexuality and obviously you know sexuality doesn't get like channeled to a certain thing until a certain stage but it does happen you know things happen very early on and um in a more kind of like biological essentialist thing it's like well you know this happens at this time hormones are released at this time in a very kind of mechanical way And I mean, I always find it funny in terms of like the study of linguistics from a more like um, analytic perspective. It's very kind of like this happens or the language instincts. The language instinct was a Stephen Pinker book. It's just like, <laughs> lol. Like it, it just, yeah. I don't know. But it, it, it all happens at a certain time and children can like all speak at a certain time. So therefore it must be like a biological inscription in the genes. Yeah. No. Anyway, um, but you know, I think I think it's very. Yeah, um, that's a really good point. I think I think it's also maybe 
why Lacan said that there is no sexual relationship. It includes, mm-hmm. it, I think it, 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 what does that mean for children? Uh, because mm-hmm. it, that's not something that just applies to adults, that like adults don't have sexual relationships with each other. A child couldn't have a sexual relationship either with another child or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Why? Because everybody's alone in their sexuality. I don't know if you've seen this movie called Happiness by Todd, uh, Todd Solondz. I think it's okay. like 1999. Um, the one where it's like in the round and each person is like, it's got Philip Seymour Hoffman in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes, well, very good a, film. And they each yeah. they each are like trying to, you know, get a, get off with the person yeah. who's next on the stage. It's very clever. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a scene there where like the fa- there's a, there's a dad and then with his son and his son is just like the movie starts like this. I think actually it's just mm-hmm. like uh, yeah, like what does it mean to come? And the dad is just like what? Oh, like it's it's like very unsettling how comfortable he is with like his son's sexuality. Uh, mm-hmm. He's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, so he explains like very graphically what it means to come. And then, uh, yeah, it's just like it, it. they go like really into detail and it's disturbing. Why? Because mm-hmm. it's like it's it's really embarrassing to talk about sexuality, I think, with with a child, even yeah. if it's your child. Yeah, uh, yeah you, absolutely. You, for a reason. Yeah. You almost kind of like have to like work around it and then mm-hmm. leave mm-hmm. the rest of it to the imagination of the child. And that sort mm-hmm. of that sort of explains how like how alone everybody grows up in their sexuality. Like yeah. everybody has to discover their own sexuality in such a solitary way until you're mm-hmm. old enough to, you know, you know, like share a sex life yeah. with somebody else. But by that time, it's already too late. Like there has, there, it, the relationship, the sexual relationship becomes impossible. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny because I think this is the thing when things are seen in biological, purely biological patterns. It's interesting. I think I've, I talk about this a lot. My annoyment, I get a lot of entertainment and enjoyment from being annoyed by things. And I ask a lot of people, um, there is somebody who is a ex- Christian, I think he might still be Christian writer who's sort of into kind of science and quote unquote rationality purely. And um, I find it quite interesting because I'm not of that bent at all. And obviously, and I think a lot of these like um, modes of things that we have today about like overcoming sexual repression as if it can be overcome and we want it to be overcome. Because if it's all like biological and this biological thing and this is the female anatomy and this is how you give her pleasure, blah, blah, blah obviously it doesn't really work like that because it's not, it's both biological and completely not biological and sexuality is a thing that is completely beyond language and biology. Um, Then of course, why the fuck wouldn't you be like, all we have to do is just be very factual about it and tell people, da 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 da, not <laughs> realizing like it's, profa- yeah, it's profoundly charged and you're going to literally, and so I listened to Paul Carson who was talking about how he teaches his daughters the female anatomy and that she gets out of chart and points no. to certain things. And you're like, this is like being raped. Yeah. It's like rape is sex without fantasy. Yeah. Because it is beyond language. It, it, it just, it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And it's profoundly traumatizing. Yeah. And isn't, and, and isn't there a way, and I think that's why Lacan said that, don't you think that there is, there is a way in which like, what gets repressed even in a relationship with another person is sexuality, mm-hmm. even if you're sexually mm-hmm. active. Uh, why? Yeah. Because it's a signifier of lack. 
The sexuality mm-hmm. is a signifier of lack and how you can't completely be one with another person that you're completely yeah. alone with your own split and not e- not even you you're not even close to yourself you're split from yourself and i think yeah. that's why sexuality is just like such a lonely thing in some way mm-hmm. and that's why it's suppressed and that's why it signifies lack talking about that film happiness and also can and can like a left-wing perspective be entertaining i think comedy does it very well there's a lot of comedy that does it very well because humans are so fucking pathetic and comedy that revolves around how pathetic humans are. Yeah. <laughs> I think, and also, you know, we it's a form where we kind of accept that a pathos and, like, humans failing. <laughs> I think that's like... Although it's funny, like, talking about... I don't think it's a pure thing of, oh, emphasising failing over success because there's a huge movement in the UK now around this podcast, which is all about how to fail, but it's about failing. It's about getting on very successful people to tell all the times that they failed and they've got up one more time than you have, but it's another way to morality bootstrap people into thinking that, oh, they're not failing properly now, or that, oh, I'm on the same level as you as an internationally published author because I failed just like you. It's like, well, no, what you're now doing is you're taking the focus off the main thing, which is the sacrifice and competition of the market and the uniquely unfair way of um, elevating certain people to the pinnacle of the market and not others. And also you're kind of... um, you, do you know what I mean? You, yeah. you know, it's not just about failure or success. I think there can be left-wing things about success, yeah. collective success or success in helping other people or success, emotional success. Um, but I think that that podcast, there's another thought I had about it where it was like kind of really egregious. Um, I think those are the main two things. But it it's basically also saying that if you learn how to fail, it makes you, it basically makes you a better, a better consumer and a better accumulation a better quote-unquote performer if you learn how to accept you know temporary you know it's a temporary failure along your bad infinite towards success and being comfortable with it so that you can temporarily overcome it to become a better consuming subject rather than an actual existential failure at the core of humanity which i think is kind of different yeah yeah. And I think that's why comedy is funny because it kind of like plays on the patheticness of being a human being. Yeah. And I think and I think uh I I hope it's clear to anybody that listens to the podcast or has listened to it um that we th- th- the reason why we talk so much about identity politics is not because we're against like uh I don't know African American identity or Asian identity or Latin identity or whatever. Um, it's identity as such that we're critiquing and the need mm-hmm. to identify with a signifier, the, the need to identify, because that as soon as you want to identify with something, you're already doing self-defense against your own lack. Uh, and not uh, being deprived of identification with something mm-hmm. is precisely what allows for a space where you can reckon with your own lack. And, yeah, and and that's when you become universal when you when you accept mm-hmm. that. But yeah, identification represses the possibility of you identifying with your life. Absolutely. And the thing is, it's like the thing about the universal is it's not about a particular that everybody shares. It's about the fact that there is nothing that all of us share is not a thing. It's the lack, which is just essentially caused by humans being primates that stand up. Yeah. And like the thing is that like of course any any it's something that exists at a at a place beyond 
you know, uh, contingent biological factors because of where somebody is born. And it's something that is, it does apply to absolutely everybody. And because, unless you don't speak, you know, and um, of course, like everybody, everybody is human. Everybody is acceptable as a human. And we accept everybody, of course. And it's funny, I think there were um, bad 20th century readings of, and I think on what's left, they've talked about, I, I am a former big fan and listener of what's left, but I um, am not really digging where it's going. Yeah. <laughs> but they, um, um, it's been kind of talk of universalism. And um, I think there is a bad 20th century reading for what universalism is. So, for example, Adorno said that um, Nazism was a universalist movement and all these projects of, you know, grand master signifier, grand narrative movements of the 20th century, like, you know, Stalinism and stuff. Those are obviously not universalist because they're around a master signifier. And also, I mean, how can you say it's universalist if you're ostracizing Jews, gays, gypsies, people of color? Mm -hmm. Like that's obviously not universalist at all. And the only way to overcome um, the contradiction is to orientate yourself around the contradiction, which is the lack that is embedded in every aspect of human subjectivity. And same with Soviet, you know, if, if if you're ostracizing gulags, then that's not, that's not universalist, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I think it's this is, but it's only people who are caught in that dichotomy of um, liberal versus conservative that I think maybe can't see that. And I think the funny thing is, it's it's funny because there's this whole thing of like, oh, the deplorables or the ones that you know we need to educate people into accepting the other. The people who've always accepted the other are normal working people mm-hmm. because they've always had to you know, be alongside or work alongside people of different groups, the people who are, um, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff about liberal politics that revolves around guilt Mm -hmm. and the acknowledgement that within somebody of a more, uh, less working class position, let's say that there is maybe a racism or, or a sort of, um, inexperience of having, lived alongside people of different groups, races or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like most people, most normal people throughout the history of the world are the ones who've always had to accept the other. And um, they're often painted under our system as those who are reactionary because they might not vote for a woman wearing a pantsuit. <laughs> who actually is... A shit-stained n- pantsuit. <laughs> who actually is the one that is promoting the market system and the market system is the particularist system. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, the issue is, it's not Trump, but it's the fact of a lack of an alternative to Trump. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because that would be, that would be showing a lack. I mean, it would be showing that the democratic party doesn't, doesn't know what's going on, doesn't know how to handle Absolutely. this crisis. And like, there yeah. would have to be a transition or a moment in the middle there in a vacuum where it's just like yeah. existential dread of just like, Oh, we actually don't know what we're doing and we need to Absolutely. start from the top. I mean, from the bottom. Yeah. And the thing is, and the thing is like, um, I think, you know, Benjamin Studebeck has written a lot about this, that, 
you know, under the market system, we have the people who rise to the top, obviously, you know, the strivers. Yeah. It's a very competitive and you have to work very hard and you have to buy into certain values. But being brought up, and a lot of people come from an upper middle class background, especially, you know, and now we're seeing a generation of those who are being proletarianized because there aren't enough jobs and because tech has reduced actually the number of roles within the PMC. And, you know, there's, there is a sort of... Um, we're, we're being revealed these sort of striver values at different strata of society when they were potentially only amongst, you know, a certain position. And a lot of those values have been applied to the left. Yeah. And it turns into something that isn't the left. Um, and I think that, you know, unfortunately, the economic system, so the political system obviously is run by people from a given stratum of society. And so this is why I think the most important thing, you know, like, as I said, like most normal people in society have always lived alongside people of all kinds of different groups and races and stuff. Mm. The, the real change is we need upper middle class people to be class traitors and to adopt the values that they were not brought up with. Yeah, to introduce difference. And I think this is a thing that there's also this thing of like, oh, well... If you come, you know, this is what, another thing about identity politics with the essentialism. So if you're a woman, then you experience this. If you're a man, then you experience this. And it also solidifies you in your class background because it's like, well, you grew up as AOC was a bartender. Therefore, she, therefore she is legitimate. <laughs> this person was this. Yeah. And, and that, therefore, it means that those who need most to adopt a different vision yeah. of the world are excluded from it. Yeah, and nobody's virtuous. I mean, it's just like no, people. No. People just stop thinking that that's like a, a like a requirement to yeah, to be a absolutely. leader or to change things. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to even be a good person, but just do the shit no. you're supposed to do. I mean, no. just do the work. Absolutely, absolutely. And this is the thing: it's like morals, virtue, and guilt. Those are all like values that are profoundly capitalistic. And you know, it's obviously. Capitalism has been tied in many ways to that kind of Protestant North European uh, work ethic and put off, you know, put off today what you can have, what, you know, what you can have tomorrow. But the thing is, it's like we're at a different point in history and that contingently arose in a certain period and a certain time. And like it's done certain things, you know, we've got cars and we've got all these different things that yeah. like we're in a different period of time and we're in a different state of need. Yeah. Um yeah. Hey, we went. We're going on an hour and a half. <laughs> should we? Yeah, my God. Should we end yeah, it let's, there? Uh, let's do that. Um, awesome. Well, thanks for listening, and until next time. Yeah, absolutely. Bye. Bye.